Girls Who Product tells the stories of amazing women to inspire others to follow their path in the product area. This project is supported by Zalando. Welcome to Girls Who Product. Uh, it's our second interview of the year 2020. And today, directly from Switzerland, we have Tanya Lau. She's a founder of Product Academy, and she's also a working mom and attention chocoholic. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, before we actually continue into the and dive into your profession, I would like to ask you, how did you end up in product in the first place? Uh, so actually, I think I've been in product much longer looking backwards than I actually um, thought. And that is reflected in my job titles because um, I entered the field um, working as, um, as actually um, a program manager for conferences in the publishing industry and afterwards as an account and marketing manager for a network of high potentials. So I was in charge of workshops, of book series, of events, which are products not, nevertheless, right? But the job was never called product management. So um, I didn't know I was part of this family of product managers. And um, yeah, so only looking backwards, I realized I've been in this field for more than 12 years, I guess, even more <laughs> probably. And um, my real start into the digital product management happened when I decided to um, co-found uh, my first startup in Madrid with a couple of Spaniards that I've met at UC Berkeley. So that was kind of a spur of the moment thing. And since I didn't speak any Spanish back then, I couldn't talk to investors, I couldn't talk to clients or customers. So um, in the end, um, the, the part where I could um, contribute the most was um, by coordinating and working with the developers when we were building the platform from scratch. So I kind of um, just did, did it without knowing what I was getting myself into. And I loved it so much that afterwards I've always been part of the startup scene. Well, actually, my next question was exactly about your first startup that you founded in Madrid. Um, to my knowledge, it happened in 2012, right? So I imagine you being in a new country without speaking any language, without really having a great network. What was the most challenging thing for you back then when you first founded it? So it was very overwhelming as an experience because everything was new. Like the job itself was new. The country was new. The people, I've just known them for a couple of months. And um yeah, I guess also adapting to the whole rhythm in Madrid to also working very late and hard. So we, I think I slept four hours at night for a couple of months in a row. And I was really pushing myself to my physical limits. And, and also socially speaking, I kind of felt lonely sometimes. And I, I think that was really... Um, like circumstances were not ideal for me to to do something so challenging like starting your first startup but at the same time I would never want to miss this experience it was really something that where I kind of built a lot of confidence from pushing my own limits and doing something that scared me a lot and my family too they were not thrilled about me going to Madrid at first and um, yeah so I'm really happy I did it anyways and what have you found to be most rewarding about working in product management I think I'm a person that gets bored very easily. So this happened to me in a lot of other jobs, but with product management, I think this never happens because the skill set is so vast and you're never done learning and um, every customer is, is a new experience, every product is a new experience and, and there's just so much more out there that you can do and learn. So I think I will never get bored by doing this. And um, I, at the very core, I think product management is about um, the art of decision-making. 
making really smart decisions, scaling them. And um, I'm really fascinated by um, yeah, the act of decision making itself, whether it comes from intuition or from data or combining these things. And so I think that's something that will always fascinate me about this um, job. And what do you see as your professional mission in this field? Mm -hmm. So with um, Product Academy, um, obviously we're in the business of upskilling people, of um, encouraging people to enter the field of product management. But my true why um, with this company, the why behind um, Product Academy is to actually um, encourage and help companies um, practice the art of being a learning organization. And really something that is a topic that's really fascinating and interesting to me and um, to how to become an um, yet not you can never become a learning organization this is never done but you can embark on the adventure of practicing these skills and to accept the fact that you will never be done learning and um, really learning truly learning organizations they um, kind of have the habit of creating the future of not feeling so um, reactive um, or like the enemy is out there and we're just reacting to the market but um, learning organizations really take the future into their own hands and keep reinventing themselves and accept their responsibility they have in this world and this is really something that I feel is worth um, pursuing and um, yeah that's why I'm trying to help organizations grow beyond just um, building a product department because I think as long as we're just talking about departments we're still um, a big step away from becoming a truly learning organization. I think it's about really um, understanding that we're all part of the puzzle. And um, yeah, that's why I'm trying to work with the C-level as well and not just with the product people to understand that, that what we need to become this kind of learning organization. What kind of culture do we need and what um, circumstances? And this is where I really thrive the most. It's not just about um, helping a couple of people get better at their job, but really helping the whole company move forward. Yeah, this is actually what your uh, page radiates. That's what I felt from the first step I've seen. Uh, I've checked your personal page and I also was checking a bit the Product Academy profiles. And I found it fantastic that you keep stressing that your job is to empower product people. Um, even though uh, here I was actually doubting, what do you actually mean by empowering? Because for me, um, it could mean different things. It's either giving some technical tools to people or making them believe in themselves. As far as I know, you're also doing coaching. So what do we imply by saying empowering? Right. It's a great question. And I think you mentioned a lot of these aspects already. So um, I'm, I'm going to rephrase it from the negative side. Um, when I'm doing coaching, I'm encountering um, a lot of product people who feel kind of helpless, um, burned out, stressed, overwhelmed by their job. And um, I really want to help them feel better and be happier about their job, not just get better at it, but also be happier and do it in a more sustainable way because we cannot just keep burning out product people. And um, they're just too scarce a resource and too important. So I think we need to treat them nicely. And um, so um, often it's kind of a systemic issue that um, they are used as scapegoats when things go wrong. But when it goes great, then it's just the team who has succeeded, right? So um, it's also about um, 
they sometimes don't have a real purpose to go after because the whole company is just um, trying to, to get more revenue and this is not really fulfilling on a personal level. Or um, they're stressed out because um, they have not learned how to say no, how to focus more on what is really important because everybody keeps pulling and stretching them very thin. Or maybe um, they don't have the structures where people even recognize the value of the work they're doing every, every day. So all these things, they can make you feel powerless and and really stressed out and um, overwhelmed and i'm trying to turn things around to help them um, understand okay what are the next baby steps they can take within their organization to move more towards um, an ecosystem where they can really provide value and feel good about it um, or to encourage them to look after the companies where they can um, because yeah there's no point in staying in a company where you really feel bad going at work every day um, then yeah, life is too short and too precious for that, I think. So sometimes they just need the encouragement to look elsewhere because there are great companies out there who have a different appreciation for this job, which is really hard. <laughs> what you have mentioned right now is very relevant because when I was preparing for this interview, I found a couple of very interesting articles that were mentioning some statistics on the job performance and level of happiness of women in different countries. And what's interesting that in the United States, the majority of women who were interviewed uh, described their state of feeling as stressed, annoyed, exhausted, burned out. And in the South countries, the answers were, let's say, more chilled and they were saying that, well, my work is not my top priority. My family is something what I would prefer my, to dedicate my time to. You are a, an advocate of a philosophy, family comes first. And this is very clear on any of your pages, any of your profiles. This is the first phrase that you might read. For example, LinkedIn, you clearly state that, state that well, my family comes first. On your uh, page, you also mentioned that you're a mother. And it's not very often to see women saying this in, on their public professional profiles. I feel that, especially here in Western Europe, um, it's a shame to show that you have family. It's a shame to show that your priority is not your job, is not, um, it's not your employer. So how is it for you? Because you make it so clear. How does it work for you? How did you manage to prioritize it that well? Yeah, well, actually... It was never something that I um, could imagine myself doing otherwise. Um, it's just who I am. And I, I never would, and really this, this thought would have never crossed my mind to be ashamed of um, being, my mo being a mother and having to hide the fact that I have children. I think this is part of who I am. And it's actually part of my superpowers that I am a mom. I learned so much by being a mother that I'm feeding that back into um, the way I'm working um, nowadays. So I think we, we need to be courageous about this role. It's just one of many roles that we have and it doesn't make um, any other roles that we have and any other hats that we're wearing less important. It's just um, an additional set of roles um, or of um, responsibilities that we're assuming. That, that's the first thought. And then it's always hard to talk about society in general, I think, because there are certain um, areas and um, 
industries that have recognized that they need more talent for their companies and it's really hard to find more um, male developers because they're already all working and and i think tapping into this um uh, in, into this pool of really talented um, women in tech, for example, is something that is just just makes a lot of business sense on the one hand. And, and there's countless studies that show that diversity is a key factor um, for the success of teams. So I think more and more um, employers understand the importance of um, being more diverse um, from a business point of view. And that's the first that makes sense to them, I guess. Um, and sooner or later, they will probably also understand this from a more... Um, empathetic point of view, but um, maybe we have to wait for that for a couple of years to see more women in leadership positions. But basically what you mentioned is like, there's an assumption hidden behind what you just said. It's like um, the um, input, my time that I'm investing or my energy, the input is what defines um, the value of my work or the output of how many hours I'm in the office actually, or how many, I don't know, calls I make. But um, as long as we're driven by output thinking and input thinking, and, and as long as we don't think in terms of outcome, what, what is the value that I'm creating? I think there's a, an, a key misunderstanding of what creates value at work. And it's just a shortcoming of how um, certain managers lead um, because it's really hard to set good goals in terms of um, defining outcomes that you want. It's much harder than just tracking the hours somebody um, put clocks at the office, right? So I think, um, I think as soon as you start moving away from output and input and start talking about outcomes, um, it's much easier to find a work setup where you can create value even if you're working part-time. But if you're just counting hours and you see somebody else can, um, can offer more hours at work, that doesn't mean that they offer more more value, right? So I think, um, yeah, it's a mindset shift that we need um, to really make women feel better at work and feel con confident even if they bring less time to work. And at the same time, we need to move away from the stigma of men having to work full time. So I, I know in Switzerland, at least a couple of them are working 80%. That's something that's quite common. You see a lot of dads on Fridays or, or Wednesdays in the city with their babies attached uh, in their carriers. And that's lovely. But I think um, we need to even make it more usual to see or more common to see men working even less than 80% and women maybe more and even moving towards more flexible time models where you don't define your um, work load in terms of how many hours do I work but I mean um, maybe what kind of value do I want to bring to the table or maybe a more fluid concept where you have certain um, times a year where you have more energy and you can dedicate that fully and then there are the school holidays where it's really hard to do that so maybe also um, the industry needs to adapt more to our life cycle as parents um, to really um, yeah, um, get the most value that we can bring to the table. And what about the concept of having it all? Because I know lots of people who don't know how to stop and set the limits uh, because we have so much pressure from the society that we never know when is it enough. So how is it for you? When do you know that, okay, now it's enough. I have reached enough for today and now it's time for my family. So generally speaking, um, having it, um, having it all, wanting it all, that um, it starts with um, knowing what you want, right? And that's not something. Some things are stable over time. Some things that you want, they will be stable over time. And some things might be um, fluctuating. You might have um, a need for more um, self-care for a while and, and fill your batteries there. And then you have more time to give and do pro bono work. So it's not something that is the same every single day, right? But you have different areas, and it's like 
the important thing for me is not to accumulate too much depth in certain areas because this happened to me in the past. So I, for example, sometimes not treated my body very in a very sustainable way over months. And I realized, okay, if I, if I do that, um, at a certain point, there's a tipping point where um, you will just break down. And, and the same goes when you don't have enough time for yourself. You can do that for a while and it might, might make sense because it's not easy to be balanced every day in every area of your life. That's practically impossible. But what I do is like I try to keep score of the main areas in my life and see, okay, is there a tendency to accumulate a lot of debt like in, in, the, in the sense that you think of tech debt in product right if you do too much of that at a certain point in time your system is gonna crash or it will take very long to recover from the state right and it's the same for your personal life so I think it's important to um, yeah keep track of how you feel in different areas of your life and be aware of what you need and the second thing is that um, I think it's really important that um, we don't limit our thinking in terms of what is possible. Just because I'm a mom, that doesn't mean that I cannot have a work life anymore or I cannot be successful at work anymore. I think a lot of these things start in our head. So what I like is, um, I don't like other people telling me what I can or cannot do. This is up to me to decide, right? So um, if I decide that this is not the time to pursue my career, that's fine. And I don't need to justify this. But a lot of the pressure comes from within ourselves because we want to please somebody outside of ourselves, the society, our moms, or whoever it is. And as long as we externalize this, it's really hard to, to feel true joy and to be really in, in flow with yourself. Um, yeah, I think we need to let go and stop comparing ourselves all the time. <laughs> Well, sometimes it's not easy, especially I think in the corporate environment. Um, and if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to yourself as a young mother, you're still are, but well, back then in 2016, when you got pregnant with your first kid, what kind of advice would it be? I think what I learned the hard way now um, is that I need far more support and help than I ever needed in my life. And that is something that I'm not very used to. I never learned how to ask for help and support because I was very self-sufficient so far. And this was kind of what I considered my strength. And now I needed to understand that it is actually a strength to understand when it's time to ask for help because you cannot pour from an, an empty cup. Um, if I just drain myself, I'm not doing my family any favor, my employer any favor. So I think um, recognizing that um, asking for help is not a weakness was one of the most important lessons for me. And I think generally speaking, I would try to be a little more kind to myself and um, adjust my own expectations. And back then in 2016, uh, did you feel you were prepared for the challenges that were coming for your career because of the fact that you would be a mother? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I didn't have any clue of what was coming. Um, I have never held a baby before, I think, in my life, before my own. And so I didn't know, absolutely didn't know what was coming. And um, so, of course, I talked to my employer back then, and I was in a leadership position with a team of product managers. And, of course, we talked about, okay, what do you think? Um, which kind of um, like workload can you handle when you come back? And, and we agreed on uh, like 70% to start with. But this is all theory because you don't know what kind of mother you're going to be what kind of child you're gonna have, right? So mine, for example, didn't sleep for one and a half years. It's like I always slept one and a half hours and then 
she was awake and needed to be breastfed or whatever. And so I didn't sleep for, actually now with the second child, it happened again. So I, I haven't slept in three years. I didn't know that before and what this would do to me as a person. So it's really hard to know that before. So you can have a plan, but it's always, as, as we say in product management, planning is everything, but the plan is nothing. So you need to be able to adjust later on. And so of course I wasn't prepared. Nobody's prepared to be a parent, but in the end we are biologically wired to do this. So um, we have a lot of intuition and if you follow that, you will do, you will make the right choices. And I um, adjusted my workload um, because I realized, okay, at work, of course they were happy to reduce my workload, but my goals and my workload itself never changed. So I, I was working less hours, but I had the same amount of work to handle the same amount of people. So actually, um, this is kind of something that for me, at least it didn't work. So I, I kept ramping up my hours again, um, but this didn't feel right for my family. And so I ended up at my own wedding, missing half of the evening because I broke down at that on that day and this showed me that this was not sustainable so neither at work nor at home and um, since then I realized okay what I need or what I want is I want to work two days a week and the rest of the time is reserved for my family and since it's really hard to find a job at 40 percent that's really challenging like the one I'm looking for that's why I decided to be self-employed in the end because um, now I can orchestrate um, my work days around my family and not the other way around um, so yeah, going back to your question, I was not prepared, but I learned a lot about what I need and what I want. And I think if you understood that, that's the first step towards um, changing the environment you work in and, and yeah, and for the better in the end. And have you ever applied the skills that you used in your professional environment inside your family and orchestrating your kids, for example? <laughs> yes, well, I think... Um, in the end, product management is a great way to prepare for parenting, I think, because um, in the end, family is or having kids is like full time stakeholder management. It's a very, very intense way of stakeholder management. So I think what I learned in my job before and what I apply every day is trying to say no gracefully to my kids so they can accept it. Um, prioritizing all the time, adapting to a reality that changes every minute. Because again, I wake up with a plan on what to do with the kids and they wake up cranky and we have to change the whole plan again, right? So you have to stay flexible. And that is something that I learned a lot doing product management. But I think it's also the other way around. A lot of the things that I learned with my kids, I can now apply to my work life. So for example, really truly listening is something that I'm now learning with my kids. Um, I, I think I, I did a bad job doing this at work before and, uh, and now I'm getting better by being a mom. And I think there's a lots, a lots of things that we can learn from our kids. That's fantastic. And if you had the power to change one thing, you can choose one thing only, in the business market for working mothers, what would you change? Ooh, that's a tough question because there's so many little things that you could do. But I guess um, the biggest impact that I see is if you have leaders who lead with empathy and who trust their employees and who manage, as I said, by outcomes and not output, this can create um, a work environment in which I think mothers at different levels of workload um, can really thrive and, uh, and create value and feel comfortable. Um, I think we need a different kind of leadership. And I'm... Um, 
I believe that men are totally capable of doing this. Um, it's not like we only have to have women leaders to be happy at work as women, but I think we need um, to see more empathy at work and more, um, as I said, like greater, great goals um, to be set and, and a, a better way of leading people um, and not managing their time. And what is a good day for Tanya, a good mom, and a good day for Tanya, a good professional? So a good day um, for both those uh, hats that I wear um, is if the, the kids are uh, healthy and nobody's sick. So that's the that's a good that's a good start for the day already. And then as a mom, I think it's um, when I I'm just in flow with the kids. So we feel like we want to do the same kind of things. Um, we um, we enjoy exploring the world together and nobody's throwing a tantrum all the time. So I think those are good days for me. I got a little bit of sleep at least. So um, I think there's a high correlation between how well we slept and how good the days are as a mother. Um, and as a professional, um, I think, yeah, it starts the same way. If nobody's sick, because that's the worst thing that can happen. If somebody gets sick, um, then um, I'm in trouble because I only have two work days a week and I cannot miss any of them. So um, whenever this happens, I accumulate a huge backlog of, of things that is really hard to reduce over time. So that's why yeah, health comes first. And, and then at work, I love exploring new business ideas. I come up with a lot of business ideas while running and I, I love starting new projects. And so for me, I'm not the kind of person who um, runs things over the long term I think I'm just I'm good at starting things and, and and providing the initial fire you need to light up and then and there are other people who are better at taking over but I think that's really important and meeting inspiring people like I did in uh, in 2019 I met so many great trainers and mentors and this is really amazing for me and you've mentioned that serendipity is your favorite word so I felt it's more almost like a life philosophy for you. Well, we already spoke a little bit about the fast moving world uh, and about having no time for your personal self. So how to stay devoted, devoted to yourself and pay attention to this sixth sense that we all have. So serendipity is, um, is really my all time favorite word. And there's no, um, no, similar word in German, I guess, at least I haven't found one. Uh, what I love about the concept of serendipity is that um, it's not like you stumble through life and then suddenly good things happen by chance and, and you have no clue where you're headed. Serendipity, for me at least, it means that you have, um, you have a question that you pursue, you have a, a goal or a direction, but you still stay open to the possibility of finding something that you didn't expect that is in a completely different direction and you stay open to the possibility of recreating yourself. And I think, um, yeah, I have another term that I use for myself and for this kind of state that I like to see myself in, which is um, elastic stability. So I found that I need stability. I need to have um, my loving family. Um, I'm even becoming more bourgeois, you can say, with a house. And there's a part of it that scares me. Um, but um, by keeping this elasticity in my life, by um, having this possibility maybe of one day doing a sabbatical and traveling the world or um, meeting new people every day and, and doing a lot of new things all the time, um, it becomes less scary to, I don't feel boxed in. So I have the, the right balance between stability and, and new things happening in my life and serendipity happening in my life. So I think elastic stability is, is the kind of state that I'm always looking for. As far as I know, you're also trying to share this philosophy with other women in the community because 
a youth-supported project called Level Up. Could you tell more about this project? Yes, sure. So actually, this was um, born even before Product Academy was launched. Actually, one night when I was um, breastfeeding Matteo in the middle of the night, I had this idea of creating a mentoring program for women in product um, to support each other, to um, encourage people to even um, join this field from related roles like UX or tech. Um, and so I created a very intense and condensed six-month mentoring program where you combine six workshop days um, every month one workshop um, with a personal mentor and coach from big companies like um, Zalando, Google, Booking.com. There's a lot of different mentors available. And um, so I believe in this kind of condensed learning experience where um, a lot of work is done at home first. So a lot of pre-reading material is sent out before up to 10 hours a month. And then we meet for these workshop days and we use our time for just stuff that you cannot do by yourself for group discussion, for group work. And um, so we don't repeat the stuff that is in the books. We just apply it and we discuss it and that creates the true value of these workshop days. And then again, you head back home and you have your mentor and coach to digest the learnings and apply them to your, um, yeah, your, your work um, at your current company. And so um, over time, you can really um, digest all the bits and pieces and put them together and experience what modern product management feels like. And so now this program has been very successful in Switzerland and I'm doing two more editions in spring and in summer. So the summer edition is now open for application and it starts in May in Switzerland. And there's a new edition in Berlin because I've um, experienced a lot of people asking me um, yeah, whether I could offer this in Germany as well. And so we're doing um, a Berlin edition too and this starts in May as well. So if anybody's interested, they can apply now until mid-February if they want. Of course, we make sure that we also put all the links in our interview so we facilitate the access of everyone who is interested in taking the workshop. Well, you are half Italian by blood. Italians are famous for being very expressive. So how much of Italian do you actually feel in yourself? <laughs> it's a really hard question because um, I think it's always hard to, to think in it's easy to think in stereotypes, but it's not always a good thing. So um, I don't know how much of my passion and, and things that define me is part um, or it's due to my um, origin. Um, I know that I have a lot of my grandfather, my Italian grandfather in me, I think, because he was kind of an um, yeah, entrepreneur, engineer himself. He just didn't have the education or the means to put that in action, I think. That, that's because he was born at, at a different time, but I think part of his spirit lives on in me, and I'm always looking um, yeah, for this new adventures, a new project that I can create, and I think that's a, a part that comes from Italy, but not necessarily stereotypical Italian. I, yeah, I think I live some of the values that are typical for Italy, like hospitality and family first. Um, I think those are things that are still um, practiced um, by many, uh, many families there. But I don't know. I couldn't tell you how much in terms of percentage are really Italian or not in me. <laughs> I guess you just feel it on the serendipity level, that's for sure. Well, if you could take a sabbatical with your family in the near future, I know that um, you're thinking about it. What would be the must-see places in your list? Okay, um, I haven't thought about the destinations so much yet. It's more like I really love the thought of um, being on the way and um, yeah, um, reinventing ourselves as a family and exploring us in different cultures and contexts. But a couple of destinations that are still on my bucket list are um, South Africa, Australia, 
Um, I love national parks, for example, in the US and Canada. I think there are many more to explore. Um, and then I would really like to attend a yoga retreat in India one day. Not sure if that's a good thing for the kids, but I would love to do so. <laughs> if you could write a book about your life, what would be the title? <laughs> this is really difficult. Um, well, I, I guess um, I, I'd go with something with serendipity for sure, because I think this is something that really defines me. Um, not sure what it would be about in the end. I, I think like I really had this plan of um, writing a book one day, but I'm not sure what it will be about. So it's really hard to define the subtitle, but let's go with serendipity for now. <laughs> okay. And one of the last questions, at the end of the interview, we ask our guests to give some positive advice for ladies who want to get into the product profession and not only any leadership profession. What kind of message would you send to them? I think it's really important um, that you understand why you want to get into this field. So um, find out more about your personal why um, and then find um, the environment that matches it because there's so many different types of product work that you can do and even a leadership position in product can look very differently depending on the environment you are in so um i myself pursued or i really was determined to becoming a, a line manager for many years because i thought that was cool and the thing to do but um i think now that i'm trying to look more for what matches my values and my style of working and my life uh, life um, situation at the moment um, I think now I'm much happier so I think I would start with what is it that you want to do and what what makes you happy and then find the right environment and the good thing is product and um, there will be a company that matches what you're looking for in product for sure but I would rather go start with what you want to do and then look for the right company than just trying to enter product at any cost fantastic thank you very much well, we're coming to an end and at the end of each interview, I bring up 10 rapid fire questions. It's uh, this or that type of questions. Out of two options, you can choose only one. So just follow your heart, don't overthink. And dark chocolate or white chocolate? Dark, definitely. <laughs> Running or diving? Running. Zuri or burn? Oof, burn. <laughs> Um, reading a book of Umberto Eco or watching the New York Yankees baseball game? Umberto Eco. A stand-up improv show or a staged drama piece? Improv. Traveling by car or by boat? Boat. Giving a workshop or giving a public talk? Workshop. Organizations for people or people for organizations? Organizations for people. Recognition or money? Recognition. And the last one? Meeting the sunrise or seeing off the setting sun? Sunrise. I'm a, an early bird. <laughs> this was Tanya Lau. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.